Welcome to the Brownstein Hyatt Farber Shrek podcast series. Although environmental, social, and governance principles, more commonly known as ESG, seem like a new trend, the concept has been around for decades. Listen in as co-chairs of Brownstein's ESG practice, Jason Downs, Carrie Johnson, and Rebecca Tucker, talk about what ESG is and what it is not, how common risk assessment strategies look a lot like ESG strategies, how demographic changes in workforce and consumer markets are driving these changes, and why it means assessing and mitigating risks on matters that impact a company's financial bottom line. Hi, my name is Becca Tucker, and I'm here with my colleagues, Jason Downs and Carrie Johnson. We're going to be talking about ESG today. My background is environmental science, and prior to Brownstein, I worked in renewable energy development and green architecture. Carrie and Jason, do you want to give a quick intro? My name is Jason Downs. At the Brownstein firm, I co-chair our state attorney general practice group, and alongside of Carrie Johnson and Rebecca Tucker, I co-chair our ESG practice group. And prior to joining Brownstein, I served as the chief deputy attorney general for the District of Columbia. And in another life, I was a civil rights lawyer as well in private practice. So thanks so much, Becca, for organizing this podcast. And I'll turn it over to Carrie. And hi, I'm Carrie Johnson. I am a shareholder in our Denver office in our litigation department. Um, I focus on corporate governance and securities type of litigation, a lot of um, intra-company disputes and advising on things like shareholder relations and, and, and shareholder uh, disputes as well. Let's take a step back, given the news, given the tweets. Um, there's a lot of discourse out there about what ESG is, what it means. What is ESG in its simplest form? And can we break that down for folks? Yes, yes, we can. So in its simplest form, ESG is a risk assessment. Um, in other words, it's the consideration of three broad factors to evaluate the risk and the reward of a potential investment or a potential product or a potential service. Um, those three broad factors are environmental, that's the E, social, that's the S, and G, governance. Um, and so I'll stop there um, and turn it over to you, Becca, to talk to us about the E, the environmental side of, uh, of ESG. Yeah, absolutely. And and I do want to just stress it's it's risk management at its core. And it also, in addition to everything Jason mentioned, is how your business operates and how are you thinking about the world and how it might affect you. So for example, in the environmental context, um, if you have factories across the world and some of them are in extreme, you know, hurricane prone areas, are you looking at how climate change, how environmental factors, how sea level rise might affect your operations and your supply chain and how you can deliver that product to your consumers. It anticipates regulations. So will new environmental regulations affect your bottom line? What do your customers think about that? What are they demanding in terms of your products, um, recyclability, end of life, pollution, um, it's really both how your company operates and how it affects the environment, as well as how the environment will affect you and your bottom line. Thanks, Becca. Um, and as it relates to the S in ESG, that's the social um, portion of it. You know, the S is really a, a social assessment that is 
um, intended to sort of highlight a company's reputational risk, including the, the relationship with its employees, a company's relationship with suppliers, and of course, a company's relationship with its customers. A good example of the S in ESG, take a look at opioids, for example. There was a time where, of course, opioids um, probably looked very enticing to investors because there was a, a pretty high demand for opioids, but of course there were very real and and large human impacts to that that came as a result of the opioid pandemic. And as a result, there have been incredibly large financial consequences on opioid manufacturers and distributors. And so to the extent that a company is you know sort of thinking about engaging in um, and an opioid sale or opioid manufacturing or anything related to opioids, thinking about the risk related to it, the reputational risk, the financial risk that stems from opioids. That's just one example of the S in, in, in ESG. So I'll stop there and turn it over to Carrie for the G in ESG. Sure. G uh, in ESG refers to governance concerns that come up in, you know, of course, both public companies and private companies. Um, you know, notably, ESG is, is now a kind of a buzzword that we hear a lot and typically applied to big public companies that come up in the, in the context of, um, you know, major investment firms, um, that kind of thing. It, it's also important to, to private companies that are maybe less public facing or, or have less public awareness. Um, and that is often driven by governance factors and particularly coming from shareholder pressure. ESG pressures can come from a variety of sources, whether that's customers, whether that's regulators, whether that is um, often it's, it's shareholders um, and owners of, of a company. Governance typically relates to, for instance, um, board practices, overall corporate behavior, whether they're you know, oversight within the company, say within a board of directors and whether there's diversity at the board of director level, both in terms of you know, diversity coming in, in in any number of forms. That could be diversity in um, experience, background. It could be diversity in terms of, you know, race or gender. Um, uh, other similar issues are, um, you know, the independence of the board. What kind of checks are in places to ensure that corruption within within organizations um, is, is um, addressed and uh, mitigated and, and hopefully prevented? Um, all of those types of factors come into place and, and very frequently are driven by um, shareholder desires for accountability and also for transparency. Great. Thank you. And, and now that we've touched a little bit on what ESG is, um, Carrie and Jason, I'd love for you to go through the, the S and G and talk a little bit about what ESG is not. Well, I'll, I'll start with that and I'll say... I think of it a little bit from from our perspective as lawyers and what our role with respect to ESG is. I think that there's kind of um, a misconception out there that ESG is all about, you know, the embracing of sort of wokeness or corporate activism or something, you know, things, the issues to that effect. As Jason and Becca have, have both discussed, you know, what we're really talking about is more assessments, risk mitigation, and from certainly from the lawyer lawyering perspective, we're talking about advising and best practices. So 
a company, and again, maybe driven by shareholders, maybe driven by customers, maybe driven by employees, often reaches its own ESG goals that might be driven by broader best practices. And we as lawyers will advise on those already pre-decided goals um, or helping to, to develop those goals. But what it isn't is just pure activism or pure promoting one value over another. It's more about how to balance competing values and competing goals on these different, you know, these different topics. Yeah, I, I completely agree with that, um, Carrie. I think another thing that ESG is not is it's not new. Um, you know, ESG, the, the concept of risk assessment has been around for years. <laughs> and so a company assessing its risk, mitigating its risk, that has been going on for decades, if not more. I mean, you can look to a 2005 piece that was written by a very, very large and reputable international company that surveyed the top leaders and the top corporate behavior. And the goal was to figure out you know, sort of the attributes of the top corporations and the top leaders in the world. And interestingly enough, the, the result of that article, um, it cited things like you know, commitment to customers, innovation, commitment to social and environmental responsibility, commitment to diversity. You know, so it, at least as far back as 2005, the corporate world recognized that the S and ESG led to higher value for corporations, and it led to leaders um, sort of producing more value for their stockholders. So this is not a new concept. It has been around for decades. I, we're now calling it ESG, but it's not a you know risk assessment related to you know, environmental issues or social issues or governance issues. Those risk assessment tools have been around for decades. Yeah, that's a that's a great point, Jason. And I think, you know, the pandemic, COVID, some recent extreme weather events just really highlight that if you're going to be a good business leader, you really need to be thinking about how, um, you know, our interconnected world, uh, how social media, how consumer demand is going to change what people expect of businesses. Edelman uh, released a good survey, uh, the 2022 Trust Barometer, and um, I think that gets to another point about what ESG is not, and that is that it is not coming down from the top where CEOs are forcing their agenda upon others or their consumers. What good business leaders are doing are responding to customer demand and to stakeholder demand, as Carrie outlined. Um, people now trust businesses and corporations ahead of NGOs and ahead of the government. Um, that's at 61%. And on every single issue, um, people are increasingly expecting businesses to engage on more issues. Um, for example, in that survey, they note that on climate change, 52% of respondents, this is you know over 36,000 people globally, want more from business leaders on climate change. And only 9% are saying that they're overstepping on these issues. So I think it's, it's an important reminder that ESG is really about entities responding to the demand in the world. And that the other misconception about ESG is that it's one one formula or one process that's done. I think if, if you're really looking at ESG in its true form, 
you realize it's constantly changing and it requires a continual assessment of how a changing world will affect your bottom line and what your consumers are concerned about. And not just consumers, Becca. I mean, I'll, I'll just add to the point. There's a lot of research in this area, of course, and Deloitte just released a survey showing that the workforce increasingly cares about this, especially Gen Zs and millennials, you know, who make up approximately 60% of the workforce, or at least will within the next few years, they care tremendously about ESG factors. And so, you know, it's being driven from all, all sorts of places, but it doesn't mean, again, it doesn't necessarily mean corporate activism, or it doesn't mean that corporations have to have a particular ideology. It's more rooted in the reality that corporations need to care about these issues for their own bottom line. Yeah, that's a great point, Carrie. And I know in the legal industry, that talent retention is is one of the top concerns that law firms continually note. Um, and as you say, millennials and this rising generation increasingly want to work for entities that either align with their values or that they're going to work on you know, important issues that, that, that speak to what they care about and what they see are the most pressing issues um, out there. Before we wrap up here, Jason or Carrie, is there anything we haven't touched on that you want to relay? You know, although ESG is not new, you know, it, it is gaining a lot of momentum and it's gaining momentum on both sides of the political spectrum. You are seeing Republicans, um, specifically in the attorney general community, banding together and challenging ESG and challenging whether, for example, asset managers or financial um, services companies should be taking into account ESG when making investment decisions. That's on the Republican side of the spectrum. On the Democrat side of the spectrum, you're also seeing coalitions of um, state attorneys general getting together and supporting the SEC's proposed rule that would require um, more more streamlined, more clear guidance surrounding exactly what a company is taking into account and what they're doing surrounding ESG so that they're not just slapping ESG on a portfolio and calling it ESG, um, sort of really concretely defining what it really means. So the, I guess the point I'm making is there's a lot of activity and we should expect to see more activity on both sides of the political spectrum moving forward. I think this is just um, sort of the, the tip of the iceberg now that we're seeing our regulators become more engaged. And I would only add, because um, I, I agree with Jason completely on that. And I think because this is such a, there's, there's so many topics that we could discuss within the overall ESG umbrella, we'll be having future podcasts to discuss some of these issues. Because as we move forward, um, you know, the political, um, political considerations are, are key here to the future of ESG, as our economic considerations, you know, right now, there's certainly a lot of predictors out there suggesting we may be heading into a recession. And it's causing companies to reevaluate and grapple with many of their, you know, strategic plan or, or previously stated goals in, for instance, investments in um, sustainable business practices or um, investments in, in developing um, a more diverse workforce, et cetera. And companies are trying to figure out how to both achieve those goals um, or potentially pull back from those goals while also worrying about potentially, you know, increasingly difficult economic conditions in the coming months and, and potentially years. 
Well, great. Carrie and Jason, thanks so much for your time. And I think we'll we'll wrap that up there. And as Carrie mentioned, um, we'll be releasing a few of these podcasts coming up. Thanks, Becca. Thanks for your time as well, Becca. Thank you for listening to the Brownstein High at Farber Shrek podcast series. If you like what you hear, please subscribe and rate us on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast app. Visit bhfs.com for more information.